You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. I'm speaking with Ed Lyman. He's a Marine Mammal Response Manager, Large Whale Disentanglement Coordinator for the Hawaiian Islands Humpback Whale National Marine Sanctuary. And with him is Lou DeRose, Producer, Director, Writer of In the Wake of Giants, which is a documentary about what Ed does and more. Thank you for joining me, gentlemen. It's our pleasure. Yep. pleasure. Ed, how do you become in life a large whale disentanglement coordinator. This is not something that I can go to get a course in at Cabrillo Community College. Exactly, Rick, exactly. It's, you know, it's, I've been doing this for about um, 16 years now, and it's, it's taken quite a number of, uh, uh, I want to say, events to get that experience. Uh, it was a slow process. Well, how, what, what, how did you start? I mean, where, where did you start? Were you just working at the Marine Sanctuary? It, I actually, I was working back east in North Atlantic, working for a small nonprofit agency that was uh, research and rescue oriented. Mm-hmm. And one day, I was just the captain on the boat, and they, they said they needed another hand, and they pulled me in. And from that day forward, I've been doing uh, disentanglement work with these large whales. Lou, what brings you as a writer and director of films to photograph this and, and to conceive of this as a, as a story, find the story that, Ed, that is, in fact, Ed. Yeah, well, the, the story, um, the story, first of all, is, is, is easy to find. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's an exciting, thrilling um, concept that, uh, you know, you've got, and, and what's thrilling about it is that you've got uh, a, a, a really a great person and a great team uh, doing good things uh, for animals that are in trouble and uh, you know when regardless of how that takes place and it's an exciting fun uh, uh, interesting I think of course film to watch but the story itself regardless uh, would exist if I was there with a camera or not um, we came across it the executive producers uh, Mark Diorio and Mara Kerr had been with Ed earlier in the year um, learned about the program and came back and talked with me about it and we, de- we decided to develop a treatment um, to create a film specifically for the Blue Ocean Film Festival and uh, released it and got it uh, finished with editing just in time to submit it and uh, fortunately we were, we were accepted. Ed, I- I'd like you to talk uh, about what you do um, now uh, at in the Hawaiian Islands, you know, I think of humpback whales. I really don't necessarily think of them as being by the hump, uh, by the Hawaiian Islands as more tropical. So, tell us a little bit about the animals that you rescue. Okay. Um, well, the um, the humpback whales in Hawaii are going down there, you know, part of the year, winter time, to breed, give birth to their, their young, and nurse those young. So down there for a couple months, and typically January, February, March of the year. And uh, well, what in part we're doing is we're protecting the resource, doing research, but then there's that response side, monitoring the population. Entanglement threat is one of the big threats for humpback whales. Well, tell us what you mean by entanglement. Are they caught in fishing nets or just in sea junk? Or what, what happens to them? It is everything. Anything in the water column can entangle these animals. It's, 
it's marine debris. Mm-hmm. It is actively fish fishing gear. It's trash. It's anything out there can entangle these animals. Now, when when they're entangled, who detects that they're entangled, and how do you how does that reach you? How do you find that out? I mean, are they, the whales themselves can't tell you, or or do they? Uh, that's exactly right. It's it is a big network effort. There's much more to it than just the few people who like myself, who jump in an inflatable boat and actually actively cut the whale free. You need tour boat operators, whale researchers, fishermen themselves, everyone out on the water, ocean users, just the general populace there, can call in. They find these animals, you know, whether it's a whale watch or, again, someone fishing, uh, call in a report. And then we work with those people. And again, this is dangerous work, so you want the, the people that are trained and have experience to actually actively cut the whale free. But it's a community effort, people working together to monitor and then, in some cases, respond to these animals. Lou, when when you started filming this, uh, he says this is dangerous work. I can't imagine it's not dangerous work to be out there with a 50, 60-pound waterproof camera trying to get video or, or film of this. Uh, talk about uh, the, your challenges as a writer and director uh, coming to this and getting the raw material that you turned into a movie. Uh, the, actually, the greatest challenge, you know, in this one was uh, getting our, our, our minds around um, the best of many stories that, uh, that, that came this way. Um, one of the things that, that uh, you mentioned is that is difficult. You're dealing in a marine environment, right? And it's, so it's salt water and even the ultraviolet on those inflatable boats take a, take a beating in this this program uh, is constantly having to deal with even uh, things that uh, that you may not expect, like funding types of things, uh, funding types of hurdles you would come over, have to overcome. When we when we look at uh, at what they're doing, uh, you're dealing with more than just um, just a boat and some rope and, uh, and knives on the end of poles that are specially designed to keep from hurting the whales. Uh, you're also dealing with how do you document it, and so. Um, you know what? Uh, there are a couple of different kinds of camera systems now that are um, highly waterproof that'll actually go down, um, you know, a hundred feet, a uh, hundred feet in depth that um, can be mounted onto a helmet. And so, in the boat, there's a, you know, there is a, a a couple of cameras on helmets. There's only room for a couple people on the boat and on the inflatable. And that's the the guys are doing that work. Uh, the folks in the network, some volunteers, uh, Ed. Uh, when he is out there, and by the way, Ed, I'll point this out, he doesn't want to say it, but Ed's really, I think, the only paid member, uh, you know, uh, of that community that, uh, that uh, takes care of this. And it's only a portion of his salary that's dedicated to whale disentanglement. So most of the, what these guys are doing is phenomenal in that they have made the best of community resources, volunteers, you know, whale watchers and all of these, this network he mentions, uh, are people that are out there that care about um, that care about whales, right? And these are the tour operators, and these are guys that, that and folks that are out there going, we want uh, this industry to stay alive, and we want those animals to stay healthy. And anything we can do to help um, is great. So you know what what you do to overcome those obstacles on every part of this thing, from a financing standpoint to uh, to dealing with equipment, like you mentioned with cameras and that kind of thing, you're always looking for ways to get sort of 
to thread the needle, if you will, uh, with those uh, smaller uh, helmet-mounted waterproof cameras, but all the way up to figuring out what innovative ways to fund the program. And that's part of why we did the film, was to help the general public find, uh, you know, an excitement level that they want to p participate, even if they live in Iowa. Um, you know, they can become part of this effort by, um, by donating money to a foundation, not, you know, yes, Ed works for uh, National Marine Sanctuaries, but there's a, a foundation set up, this nonprofit foundation that has come alongside to help for this very reason. Ed, so I guess uh, you were one of the people operating the ultimate shaky cam. <laughs> uh, talk about what happens when, when you, you get a call and a whale is, rest, is, is entangled. Are they all similar kind of situations? Are they very different? Do you have one set of tools? I mean, do you have like a, a Batman-style utility belt? You've got, clearly got a whale bat signal out there. <laughs> gotcha, yep, the hotline, if you will, to get the community to call us with those reports. A lot of it, it starts with assessment, and it really runs with assessment the whole time. And this is where the documentation is so important because it's the hard copy of assessment. But, yeah, the call comes in. We'll try to make a rapid response. You try to figure out, is it a life-threatening entanglement? How should we respond? Um, we have caches of equipment in a lot of places here in, well, here in the West Coast. We're here in California today. We have caches of equipment set up, ready to roll, that holds the camera equipment, the, the knives that cut the whale free. And we haven't talked about the process yet, but we actually grab hold of the whale and keg it down. We use an old whaling technique. So we're going to add more gear to get that gear off. So we're all set up, and you make a rapid response. You grab that gear. You get out to the whale as fast as you can because they're big needles. In a big haystack. You don't want to lose them. Once you've got your whale and you're working on it, things slow down. We become very methodical, reassess, always assessing it, always documenting. The, you know, the other part of it, we do want to cut that whale free if it's in a life-threatening entanglement. It's a, it's a measured response in that regard. But the other part of it, the biggest part of it, it's human safety. Remember, that community cares. As Lou mentioned, the community cares. We want to keep those people safe. We don't want them jumping in the water. We want the authorized, trained people doing that work with us, you know, and call us. Tell us about the first time that you found yourself involved in this. Did you know that you would be disentangling a whale, or did you just get a call and say, something's happening out there, deal with it? No, I, when I started this, Rick, um, I was working for a, a nonprofit that indeed was doing whale research and rescue work. Um, so they, they were the ones that taught me. They were authorized to do this type of work. But things, I have to um, Admit we're starting out. This was new. The, this network effort, this response effort for cutting large whales free was fairly new. And they trained me. And again, it took many responses before I had the, enough training to actually go out and lead efforts on my own. I mean, I had the luxury of maybe doing 12 disentanglements before I started leading efforts, uh, both on the East Coast and now, nowadays here in the North Pacific. Well, uh, I'd like you to tell me, the two of you to, together, to tell me about an entanglement that we see in the movie uh, that you filmed and describe to us what happens and what your response was and also Lou what your response was because you're seeing something that must be uh, very powerful emotionally uh, to see a large intelligent creature that you know has a soul and a life and a mind that you can't communicate with freed. Ed, tell us about what happens. Yeah, we could, uh, you know, um, we had an event earlier this last season. Uh, it was December, so it was early in our, our humpback whale season in Hawaii, and it was a, an entangled yearling. It had returned with its mom, and there was a male escort around, too. So you had 
three animals in a group. He had to worry about the dynamics of, of other animals, but it was a yearling was entangled, had lying through the mouth, and it wrapped up, came up over its back, twisted up, and then trailed hundreds of feet behind. This was a life-threatening entanglement. And uh, but how big is that? Well, the um, no, the, the animal. The yearling was about 35 feet long. Mm-hmm. So still, you know, 30 tons, still plenty big. <laughs> and we've learned from the past. Uh, I've done about maybe 65 animals now that the yearlings are very tough to deal with. They do not want to stop. I mentioned earlier that we keg the animal down to get some control of the, you know, typically 30 to 40, 45 ton animal. You know, the old whaling technique of adding, you know, they added barrels to slow the whale down and keep it at the surface so they get the lance at the death. You know, when they threw harpoons, they weren't killing it. Mm-hmm. They were just attaching to it. Well, with these yearlings, that becomes that much more imperative because what we're doing is throwing grapples into the gear, into the entangling gear, um, and kegging the whale down. And a lot of times, again, with the yearlings, they don't want to stop. So this was a tough one. It took us several days of effort, and with the help of the U.S. Coast Guard, we were able to get the whale free, got all the gear off the whale. One thing you see that is kind of kind of riveting is that you come to the, con- the conclusion very quickly that um, this whale is not going to, you know, it's, it's on the run. Uh, and you know you, the boat is pitching and yawing, and you're really in in or you know they're in all kinds of three-dimensional space with a a pole that was this uh, entanglement went through the mouth of the of the whale and up around the sort of the closer to the front of the whale, so they had to get way out over that that whale, and they used a, a as a flying cutter um, where the 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 knife back actually detaches from the pole once they get it into the right place. But getting it that was about a 24-foot pole. Um, getting it out over that while the, the, the waves are coming and the whale's going down and up for air, uh, you know, not diving deep. They had it, you know, it had been kegged for a while. But uh, when they go to make that move, you know, it's kind of like doing surgery in a sense. You know, they're not cutting the animal, they're cutting the ropes. But it's kind of like doing surgery with the patient wide awake and thrashing about on the table uh, and while you're standing in an earthquake. I mean, they, these guys were not standing still. The waves are moving, and the boat is moving, and the whale is moving, uh, you know, eight or ten knots, right? So, yeah, I'd say that's probably the most, uh, uh, the most exciting part of that particular segment. Ed, talk about, you, you mentioned that you guys do this on an inflatable boat. That just sounds scary and kind of crazy. Uh, uh, talk about uh, just um, your sense uh, of being like a regular human-sized guy approaching this enormous creature who's also guarded by others of its kind that may not be so, think you're so kindly inclined towards it. Right. Well, the inflatable boats are good in the sense that, you know, they're 15 to 17 feet long, mm-hmm. so they don't intimidate the animal too much. We don't want to, you know, spook it too much. We've used that in the film, you know, spook the whale. We don't want to spook it too much. Um, we basically want to be very methodical with that boat, and it's a boat that basically is a soft-bottom inflatable that if we did bump the whale or the whale bumped us, would provide a buffer. Mm, okay. It is a boat that has very little draft, uh, not much of a haul to it. So when we keg it down, we attach to it, we're getting a Nantucket sleigh ride behind that whale. In a sense, the inflatable <laughs> boat becomes the first keg, That again, that old whaling technique. So you can get the tow behind the whale, the Nantucket sleigh ride, and you can hold on, literally, and get towed, as Lou said, five, six, maybe seven knots in the early stages. A lot of times, we're, again, we're trying to slow the whale down, but it lets us stay with the whale. And remember, we want to assess. We want to stay with the whale, figure out you know, where the gear is, where the cut needs to be made to remove all the gear, 
off the whale. Again, we're trying to get all the gear off the whale, not just the trailing gear. You know, also what you don't see in the film is that uh, this was a long process. Uh, you know, we're, we're dealing with a 16 and a half minute film. So, of course, you know, the edit room, we're, we're, um, we're winnowing that story down pretty tight. Uh, but it was, a, it was a long process, and Ed mentioned it actually was several days in this one where the whale needed to be tagged because the weather came up, so they had to actually leave the whale with a, with a tag on it and relocate it in the morning. Um, and uh, so, you know, it's not as quick and tidy as you would think in that, in that regard either. There's, a, there's an awful lot of very, very careful, um, as he says, methodical plans in place, and they're operating under a, uh, a NOAA permit. That's for a reason. The, the the permit has authorized them to be that close. As you know, whale watching boats don't. You're not allowed to get close to a whale. Well, these guys are so close that the flukes uh, of the whale, the tail of the whale, is brushing the boat. I mean, they're they're literally right on it. But they know how to do it. They've been trained. They you know, and that's you know, it's part of the reason they can get that close. Talk about the Ed. Tell tell me about the these knives that don't harm the whales. Um, how how does that work? And even have you ever been in a situation where you actually have cut a whale, but in in essence, I mean, it might be like a, a shaving cut for us. <laughs> Irritating and highly annoying, life-threatening to you, but maybe not to the whale. Probably more so towards us. Yeah, but the, the knives are hooked. They're, they're meant to protect the animals. And the mechanics of it works well that way, too. You're mm-hmm. pulling back towards you from, mm-hmm. from that inflatable boat. But they're uh, hooked. They're sharp on the inside, not on the outside. Uh, some of the ones have little tabs, that, so make sure they don't. the points of the knife don't go into the animal. Um, and, again, the, dyna- the mechanics are such that you want to pull back in many cases. Hard to reach out with a 24-foot pole with a straight-blade <laughs> knife and make a cut. You know, it's not going to work. You're going to be able to pull back, maybe, and that's about it. Um, we've had a good track record. Very rarely do we catch the animal, so to speak. And, well, in some cases, we've wanted to catch the animal. Some of these entanglements have been so bad that the line is embedded. Maybe, like, we had one case where it was eight inches into the animal, and we actually designed a different knife for that animal where we made the, bl- the uh, blade on the outside as well as on the inside. So it would cut into the animal to get to the entangling gear and then hook it and then cut as we pulled back. Okay, but we had a case, we, we cut free uh, four whales. Well, th- three whales were cut free in Hawaii, I should be more specific, this past season. And one of the ones we did, you know, hook the flipper. We were trying to cut wraps away from the flipper of the animal and hooked it momentarily. And it, it just moved, it moved a flipper towards me a little bit as I was trying to make the cut. I just missed the lines by an inch. Second try, we got them. <laughs> um, but it didn't really, it was, it's probably like a pinprick to the animal, really. And when you think about it, the size of the animal and the size of the knives, it's, it's, it's more the worry of the rescuer. You know, what's the animal? How will it respond if you do something like that? You know, Lou, it seems to me that these events you're filming must be in, incredibly emotional for the people who are making the movie, the people who are doing the work, and even for the animals. And I wonder if you could talk about your sense of that and trying to convey that in a 16-and-a-half-minute film. Yeah, and, that, and really where, where that, I think, the, the emotion of the story, and uh, multiple stories really, the emotion of that really comes out in the post-production. You know, when you're, you're viewing footage 
um, lots and lots of footage uh, late into the night, right? And uh, you start seeing uh, you start seeing and understanding certain patterns. I mean, I I came into this um, project never really having and never having any training on whale disentanglement. Um, kind of like Ed, I was you know I was thrown into the you know into the project uh, just like he was in his first in disentanglement. Uh, but I uh, as I'm looking at it now, I I can I can tell you. You know, I'm not a naturalist, but I can tell you when a whale's agitated. I can tell, you know, the, the things that Ed has, you know, shown us and what we see in the film. And you see uh, where a whale thrashes its tail left to right, for example, is a, is a clear sign that it's not wagging its tail, it's upset. And uh, there's a certain sound they make when they breathe, that when they, when that, um, it almost sounds like an elephant uh, call. Uh, that's not a typical whale sound. The, when they breathe, it's very airy. Uh, when they're when they're you know at peace. Can you hear those sounds when you're filming underwater? You uh, you hear it on the surface when they're breathing. So they when they're exhaling mm-hmm. um, and it's uh, and they're upset or agitated. It's uh, I, I don't even want to imitate that. It would be it would be awful sounding. <laughs> but uh, if, you, if you you can see that's the that's good the thing. They see now, but it's the yeah. So the, just to finish that that whole thing um, real quickly. That so you know you, as you're reviewing that kind of footage, we're we're looking for the for really the emotional um, beat or the emotional thread through the story. Um, and it's not just uh, the animal. We're, what's really moving in this piece, I think, we got toward the end and what, uh, there's a lot of intensity while they're working on the animal. What's where that sort of, um, the, the story gets peaceful is where you, you realize that there's a network of people uh, doing their best. Some of them are making sandwiches and refueling boats. And you know, they're not all heroes out in the front of the boat holding the pole. In fact, you know, that's sort of the, that's one job. There's a lot of jobs behind it. And you realize that's, that's actually the the moving part of the story is that there's a, there's a big network of people uh, pulling this thing off. And, uh, and that comes through the music. We've been nominated for musical score. Um, The music was uh, composed by my son, um, who is a music composer, graduated with music theory and composition as his, uh, um, as his major. And so Blaze actually started composing this on the seat back of an airplane um, and, uh, and cre- took what we had done with imagery and scored to the imagery. And, uh, and it's really, really successful in terms of capturing the, that emotion that you're talking about. Um, you know, while we're seeing what's going on, the music tracks with it. The music helps us through that story all the way through, not just the... Not just through the, uh, the the wake that's created by these giants swimming through the water, but also by the um, you know by this network of people who are so kindly and generously giving their time. Ed, um, I, I I'd like you to to talk about um, uh, what kinds of things entangle these whales. Are there any? Do they get entangled in natural uh, formations, or I mean, kelp as well as as well as uh, as well as human, or is it only human? And it's well, it's the human um, produced garbage, gar- garbage or materials that we worry about. Because mm-hmm. with the, your question about the kelp, it's very typical. They love to roll in kelp, the humpback whales especially. Um, but kelp can be broken, and they know how to get out of it or whatever. It's it well, it can either degrade or it can be broken. But the breaking strengths of these synthetic lines, again, whether it's fishing gear, or maybe part of a mooring gear, whatever, is such, it's so strong that they can't break it. If it's a complex entanglement, they're stuck with it. And they may not, it may not 
cause death immediately. They may not drown the gear. I mean, these are big animals. At 40, 45 tons for a humpback whale, they're able to pull it to the surface and take that next breath of air. But the impact is still there. It's starvation, lack of mobility, so they're not feeding. It's physical trauma, infection caused by lines digging into the body, um, staying at the surface more, being tired, and not being able to maneuver away from a boat that comes along. You get a ship strike. That's the overall threat when it comes to entanglement. Uh, the other thing I'd like to, to, to ask is how technology has helped both of you in terms of what you do. Uh, I've got to imagine that satellite imaging and, uh, you know, global uh, location and, you know, the advanced technology of, you know, the, a camera that you can put on your helmet, that's what had been inconceivable maybe even 10 years ago. Um, so, uh, Ed, first, why don't you tell me about um, how technology is, is it making your job easier? And is there stuff on the horizon that you think is going to make it even better? All the time. I mean, technology is, is a big part of our effort here. Um, you know, with the tagging effort, we mentioned the mm -hmm. December yearling that we were able to cut free. Um, you know, first day it was in the channel between the islands, too rough. You know, we had to basically threw a grapple into that trailing gear and attached a telemetry package that had... A bookmark. A, yeah, a GPS, <laughs> satellite tagging, you know, and it enabled us to track the animal the next day. And to kind of finish the story, the next day the whale threw that telemetry package, you know, so it was unfortunate. But we recovered it, and another whale watch boat found the whale, and, re and we were able to re-tag it. Then, wow. again, here comes the weather. You know, Mother Nature's got to give us those weather windows. It was a couple more days before everything came together, but we could find the animal again. That was the key. We went out with the Coast Guard and cut that animal free. So we had to be patient, methodical, stay safe, and we're able to get that animal free. I, I want to add something, too. Ed's not going to say this, but uh, they have an incredible batting average. It, it, it gets to the point now, I mean, you, you look at what the way that they have developed this process. If they can get to the whale, it's almost certain they can cut par at least part of that, um, that entanglement off, if not all of it. And that's a really good average, you know. And it's still, at that point, it's not a matter of, um, you know, is it successful or not? It's, it's always successful, almost always successful, if they can get to it. If they can get through the weather, if they can, you know, the satellite stuff helps. And also, what's fascinating is their technology. As much as the telemetry, telemetry package is high technology, Really, what they're using is old tech uh, to keg that whale down. They're attaching buoys. It's a it's a it's an old whaling trick. Uh, now they're not throwing harpoons at the whales. They're throwing grapples into the gear, and from that grapple that grabs the the gear that's already on the whale, you know, putting kegs on it to to keep it to the surface so it doesn't you know the the, the buoyancy of that buoy it's that fishing gear keeps it to the surface, and then um, they use a big long pole with a very sharp end. To cut, and, you know, it looks like a harpoon, but it's not. They're cutting the rope free with what is old technology, and that's that's really fascinating. As far as filming, that kind of stuff, you've got, um, you know, there's a, a lot of very, uh, yeah, interesting advances in that kind of thing. Um, these guys are even using cameras on the end of poles just to do the assessment, just to get when they get close enough to check it out and review and see what, how badly is it entangled? What kind of knife do they want to use? Uh, how long a pole are they going to need, or you know, how many buoys even do you think they're going to have to keg this thing down with, and how active and healthy is this animal? Uh, all very fascinating, but all kind of low-tech, really, if you look at it. And Lou, those cameras are so important because, as you mentioned, you know, our success rate, really, when you think about it, our success rate is 100% because it's not just about 
cutting the whales free. I know we mentioned that earlier. You, you love to save that, you know, life-threatening, um, like to save that whale from a life-threatening entanglement. Um, but we're trying to gain information. We know we're not going to solve the problem by going out and cutting every single whale free. It's about gaining information. You, you've asked the question, Rick, about like what type of gear is it, where it might have come from, how long was it on the whale, what's the impact. That's what the cameras and our efforts tell us. We either document it or we get our hands on the gear and get it off, and we start answering those questions so we can reduce the rate of the, of the threat. And that's how we're going to solve it. It's all about information. See, I told you, it's a great story. It's, you know, uh, you've got good people doing good stuff. And, and that's actually what's been the biggest thrill of doing this particular piece was seeing it. You know, it's, it's, not, about, uh, it's not about the high, you know, the sort of high sea adventure. In this case, it's about really, really good people doing good stuff. That's a good story. Lou, where can we get more information on this? There's plenty of information on the National Marine Sanctuary's websites. Um, and on our site that we put together for this particular film, akuafilms.com, that's A-K-U-A films.com, uh, there's a section on, um, on In the Wake of Giants. And if you go to that section, you'll actually see a, ba- a behind-the-scenes um, interview with one of the one of the guys that works with Ed, and he talks about all the knives and shows a lot of the knives and the, and some detail on some of the equipment that they use. But you can also um, click a button there and make a, a tax deductible donation to the foundation that comes alongside NOAA and the Marine Sanctuaries program to help them out. And Ed, where can we find out more about what you do? The best place would be the Sanctuary's websites. It has a resource protection page. It tells you all about the entanglement response efforts and just gives you an idea, folks an idea of just, again, how we go about cutting a 40, 45-foot whale free of entangling gear. Well, the website is sanctuaries.noaa, that's N-O-A-A, dot gov. I've been speaking with Ed Lyman and Lou DeRose. Ed Lyman literally saves the whales. <laughs> and <laughs> Lou DeRose uh, literally makes movies about it. Thank you for joining me. Our pleasure. Yep. Thanks, Rick. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.